You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are tackling a topic that we really hoped we wouldn't have to tackle again. But alas, here we are, the topic of measles. Um, and Andrea, I like, I see in our little uh, outline here, you said, Happy Valentine's Day. Here's some measles. Because yeah. <laughs> this episode is airing on Valentine's Day. How, how lovely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's just set the stage. And then Andrea, I know you're going to walk us through some of the recent outbreaks, which has really prompted uh, this episode. So as a reminder, uh, measles is one of the most highly contagious diseases, merely entering a room up to two hours after it was vacated by an infected person can lead to infection in those not immune. Although the majority of people who contract measles will recover, the potential consequences can be extremely serious. And I always, we always like to say we're victims of our own success, right? Because we don't encounter measles thanks to vaccines, right? We really haven't seen a whole lot of measles because up until pretty recently, people have done a, a pretty good job of getting the vaccine. We're, th- you know, this is all changing. People are refusing vaccines, delaying vaccines, altering vaccine schedules, and we're seeing measles crop up everywhere. So again, even though most people who contract it will recover, about one in five cases leads to hospitalization hospitalization. One in 1,000 leads to brain swelling and potential brain damage. And one to two, excuse me, one to three per thousand people will die. There are also complications. Uh, We'll get into the details in a little bit, but these include things like ear infections, hearing loss, pneumonia, and more. So Andrea, do you want to jump in maybe with some um, info on the latest outbreaks? Yeah. And and I think, you know, the Common thread with all of these outbreaks and and outbreaks that have occurred kind of throughout our history is always low vaccine uptake. And there are some factors that I think are unintentional. You know, we know that the COVID pandemic did affect people staying up to date on, um, you know, healthcare provider visits. And that's often where kids are getting their childhood vaccine. So there was a little bit of a decline. But, you know, in 2024, you know, that should be rebounded by now. And so some of the declines in vaccine are Outside of that, there are active disinformation campaigns, and this is not new, you know, especially in the context of measles. We'll talk a little bit about the history of that. We did talk about that a lot in our vaccine myths episodes years ago. But, you know, it's it's really unfortunate because truly nearly all of these instances of measles are preventable. Um, you know, we're, we're 61 years into having a measles vaccine. So as of right now, um, there's an outbreak in the Philadelphia metro area where I live, um, and that includes east southeastern Pennsylvania, Delaware, which is just south of the border, and then New Jersey, which is just across the river. There's also cases reported in the D.C. metro area, so Virginia, uh, Maryland, Washington, D.C. Other cases in Washington 
Washington state on the other side of the country, a new outbreak in Georgia, a case report in Missouri, a case report in Ohio, two cases in California, one in LA County, one in San Diego County, um, another case in Maryland, irrelevant to the, the DC Metro um, case reports. And one of the common threads is that a lot of these are being brought in from international travel into the US by people who are unvaccinated. And that could be adults who are unvaccinated or kids that are too young to be vaccinated at this point. But it's really important to remember that in the US, measles was declared eliminated in 2000, which means that we no longer had endemic measles, meaning measles that existed and spread within the country. We do have outbreaks periodically, and that's through international import from countries who still have endemic measles. So all of these outbreaks that we're seeing are mostly occurring and spreading because of an import. However, they're spreading within communities because these communities have low vaccine rates on the whole. And so we're at risk of losing our eliminated status at this point. And a lot of that is due to the fact that, as just mentioned, people are forgetting the impact of measles. People are forgetting how contagious it can be. They're listening to people who minimize the impact of, of measles as an illness and as a, a communicable disease. And while you might look at those uh, morbidity mortality rates and be like, oh, well, you know, three in 1000, that's only, you know, 0.03% or 0.3%. But, you know, when you're talking about tax rates, that's very low. But when you're talking about disease rates, that's, that's substantial. You know, you can't just say, oh, well, a percent here and a percent here, like a 1% disease burden or a 0.1% or a 0.3%. Like these are big values. And, and Andrea, I'm so glad that you said that because people also forget when we talk about statistics, these are human lives that we're yes. talking about. And yes. more than that, these are preventable deaths. I mean, right. this vaccine is, when you look at the, the, the effectiveness data, real-world effect, I mean, 97 to 99% effective, that is remarkable. So yeah. even a single death is 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 too many, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so, you know, because of all these imports that are happening in the U.S., the CDC released a national alert for physicians to keep an eye on on symptoms because there are many physicians practicing nowadays that never saw a case of measles because those vaccines have been in place since the 1960s and they're super effective. And so um, there have been 23 new cases in the U.S. from December 1st until the end of January. And um, even the spread that we're seeing in Philadelphia, it was a direct importation from an international traveler, but those are spreading within the communities through um, there, there was an incident where someone broke isolation and went to daycare and that spread to more children. And again, most of these are among people who um, who did not receive the measles vaccine. Now, outside of the U.S., this is also happening globally. So the Pan-American Health Organization, which U.S. is part of, so these are all Pan-American countries, they alerted Alliance countries, so all of the Pan-American countries, member organizations, to update plans to prevent the reestablishment of endemic measles in these countries because of these drops in vaccine rates. In 2022, there were outbreaks of measles in 30 seven countries around the world, which was compared to only 22 countries in 2021, and case numbers have increased by 18%. There was also a 43% increase in deaths due to measles 
Um, and the majority of those are among children because they're at highest risk for severe complications due to measles. So this doesn't have to be our existence. And if you look right. kind of further, you know, other developed nations like the UK, there's a huge sustained outbreak in the Birmingham Midlands area of the UK, where um, I actually just pulled the new data as of last week. There are now 465 confirmed cases since October. So there's an ongoing spread. We're seeing drops in vaccine rates well below the herd immunity threshold, which we'll talk about why it is what it is, but it's 95%. Where these outbreaks are occurring, we see vaccine rates in the 80s and in the 70s. We -hmm. need that higher because otherwise we can't stop. Even if someone imports the virus, if people are vaccinated, we can stop it from spreading. When people Mm -hmm. aren't vaccinated, that's when the outbreaks are going to occur. So last year in the UK, there were 1,603 measles cases. That was double the number in 2022, which was 735, and double those in 2021. So we've been doubling the number of measles cases just in the UK alone year over year. And now we have this huge outbreak that we've already got 465 cases in the last four months. And across Europe, we've seen a 45 fold, 45 times more measles cases in one year. In 2022, there were 941 measles cases in all of Europe. Last year, there were 42,200 cases of measles. The UK Health Security Agency is literally begging people to go get vaccinated and has declared a national emergency. And as of Thursday, um, an adult in Ireland, the first measles case of the year, also led to the first death of measles that Ireland has seen in, I think, three or four years. And MMR rates have dropped well below 80% in some of those counties. Well, and Andrea, it's so important that you said that, you know, we're Young children are at such high, I mean, I know, sorry, you were just talking about an adult who died from this, but we know that, you know, in terms of high, highest risk, young kids are at very high risk, right? And we see that vaccine rates are are dropping everywhere. And I see, Andrew, you pulled in a really great statistic here that last year, the CDC reported the highest level of vaccine exemptions for kindergartners, kindergartners ever recorded, yeah. nearly all listed as non-medical and average. Uh, vaccine rates nationwide dropped to 93% for um, measles, mumps, rubella, and polio, and the exemption rate increased 0.4 percentage points to 3%. Um, Exemptions increased in 41 states, exceeding 5% in 10 states. And, you know, this is happening. There's a variety of different groups where we're seeing this crop up. You know, part of it is as Andrea, I think you said, like there's really a concerted anti-vax effort that is breaking through to people. Unfortunately, we are also seeing this in certain um, contained faith-based communities. We know that um, vaccine rates are, are extremely low. I guess people, it's just, again, I keep coming back to this, like this downplaying of diseases, it's its coming from such a place of privilege, you know, like, it, because we just don't understand. And, and these numbers seem so low, but then apply it to billions of people in the population. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of potential deaths and right. other severe outcomes. Right. And when you think about, you know, you're looking at these these vaccine, these national vaccine rates, right? If, if your national average is nine 
93.1%, and you need a national average of 95% to contain outbreaks, you know, it's it's obvious why there are outbreaks. And these vaccine rates are much lower in certain pockets of the geography, but, but that's looking from a big picture. And when you're looking at exemption rates for kids entering school, that's, that's the window where kids are getting that vaccine, right? So the first dose of the MMR is around one year, and then you get your second dose at four years, and that's your full vaccine regimen. And so you're looking at kids, uh, you know, for most states, and again, laws related to um, public school entry vary state by state, which is another challenge, but some states have very vague and broad rules as far as exemption. You can pretty much just say, well, I don't believe in it, and you can get a waiver, and we're seeing that increase, and, and these are not based on any real information. Usually these people are misinformed. And and in some states where you have 10 states that are exceeding 5% exemption rates, that means less than 95% of your, your kindergarten entry population is not vaccinated. Um, and, and that means that there's potential for, for any single case of measles to spread within that community. So let's talk about why like that 5% threshold is really scary. The fact that we're, that we're, you know, hitting that, um, you know, obviously we're very concerned about herd immunity and for measles and Andrea, I know you'll get into this. That number is so high, um, largely due to how infectious <laughs> measles is. So can you maybe break down, you know, the R naught and, and why, like how, yeah. just how contagious is measles? Yeah, so measles is probably considered the most contagious human disease that we know of, and um, and essentially there's a few reasons for that. The first is because of how it spreads. It's a respiratory virus, and so basically anyone that is excreting droplets, um, whether they're larger droplets that spread shorter distances directly to a person um, or are suspended in the air, meaning that it is truly airborne, um, those can spread far and wide and persist in the air. So just as you mentioned, you know, you can enter a room that someone who was infected and contagious with measles even hours later, and there are going to be um, aerosolized droplets of respiratory fluids containing the measles virus floating around. And that's and that's a, a very unique um, feature of the measles virus with how small these these aerosolized droplets can can be and how long then they can remain stable in the environment. Now, when you're talking about how much how contagious measles virus is, we we use the term R naught, which determines how many people can be infected by someone if the population on the whole is susceptible, meaning they're not immune. And that's that value is 12 to 18 people, meaning that for every one infected person measles um or for every person that's infected with measles, they can transmit it to additionally 12 to 18 other people. And that's, again, assuming that they're not all, they're, none of them are immune. Um, now, when we talk about effective reproduction value, um, that's that's based on the things we do to protect us, so vaccination. So the functional reproductive value is much lower, but that's, again, assuming that you have that threshold. And so because measles... Um, essentially is so highly transmissible that it can infect 12 to 18 people for every one person that's infected, you have this exponential growth of viral spread with exposure. And so essentially, 
if you have measles, you can infect up to 90% of any susceptible individuals you come in contact with. And that could be kids that are too young to be vaccinated. That could be kids who haven't completed their vaccine. That could be unvaccinated adults. And it could be a small proportion of people who are vaccinated but don't mount immunity um, for a variety of reasons, often because they're immunocompromised. And so, you know, people, I think, don't really realize the full scope of how this spreads. Now, with the herd immunity, that threshold varies depending on how contagious a virus is. And so because measles is so contagious, because so few viral particles can persist in an environment and lead to infection of a person, that means that herd immunity threshold needs to be that much higher. And so something that is less contagious will have a lower herd immunity threshold. But because measles is so contagious, we need 95% of the population to be immune in order to stop the spread if someone brings measles into a community. Now, that assumes that there are some people who are non-immune because they don't mount a defense with vaccination. That assumes there's a certain proportion of people within the population who haven't yet been vaccinated, like your young kids. And so that's why everybody who's eligible to get vaccinated really needs to be vaccinated. And that's also why we are begging people to not alter that childhood immunization schedule because it is set for a reason. And, you know, Andrea, we've talked about this so much. I think there's this idea that, you know, you can get too many vaccines at once will overwhelm the immune system. That is not a thing. Our our immunologist here is, is nodding along in agreement that, you know, if a kid is going to a playground or playing in a sandbox or, you know, they're encountering more pathogens, their immune system is encountering more things than if they were hypothetically to get all their (laughs) vaccines at the same time. Is that right, Andrea? Yeah. Yeah. So your vaccines are containing these antigens, which are components of a virus or or an intact virus itself that are essentially causing your immune system to be like, hey, that doesn't belong here. I'm going to I'm going to mount a defense. Now, in the case of the MMR vaccine, these are all um, uh, attenuated viruses. So they're intact viruses. And so each of them, there's three of them in the MMR and there's four of them in the MMRV, but there's four viruses or three viruses. And, and, you know, all of those have a certain number of antigens, um, but it's much more, much fewer than like going in your bathroom, which is filled with all sorts of bacteria from bathing and from, you know, living in crevices and from fecal matter and all of that. So the number of antigens you encounter on a daily basis are far, far more, far greater than what you're going to encounter in um, even combination vaccines, even getting multiple vaccines at once. Um, You know, you're never going to exceed a certain number of antigens and your immune system is perfectly capable of handling them all at once because, your immune cells all generate these unique responses. And it's not like one is, you know, sacrificed for the other. It can do all these things at once. So I think one of the other reasons that, you know, measles is so contagious is because it has this long incubation period. And so, um, you know, measles, as I mentioned, is a respiratory virus. It infects, um, it actually infects the immune cells in your respiratory tract first. You have these specific types of of immune cells called alveolar macrophages and dendritic cells. And these um, actually, by infecting those immune cells, it allows the measles virus to spread throughout your body because it basically gets inside them. Those immune cells go to the lymph nodes around your body. It hitches a ride in those immune cells. It gets to the spleen. It gets to the lymph nodes. It gets to the adenoids. It gets to the tonsils. And then 
From there, the virus spreads to other immune cells, your adaptive immune cells, the B cells and the T cells. And from there, those B cells and T cells kind of make their way back to your respiratory tract. And now the measles virus spreads to epithelial cells in your respiratory tract, where eventually once they replicate to a certain degree, they're expelled um, when you cough, breathe, sneeze, exhale, etc. And so that's how it's released into the environment. And, and those are actually very small droplets and why they remain suspended. But this process, because it's hitching a ride and it's replicating in kind of these phases, it means that the incubation period to develop symptoms of measles is about 12 days and the range is 7 to 14 days. So that's a really long incubation period compared to something like influenza, which is only 48 hours. Um, right. Something like norovirus, which is a very violent illness, but is only 24 hours. So once you get exposed, right. you're going to be sick really quickly and segregate your Yourself. But measles, it's longer. So you're potentially spreading without knowing. I was going to say, that's the scariest thing. I don't think people like wrap your mind around that. Can you imagine being infectious for such a long time? You're going and, and you don't realize it. And you're going about your business. You're going to the grocery store. Kids are in school. I mean, think about how quickly this can get out of control. I mean, we literally just, I mean, we're still not even out of a pandemic and we're kind of teetering on potentially starting a new one if we don't get this under control. Sorry, Andrea, right. go on. No, no, it's fine. And, and, and you know, the incubation period is up to 14 days. Now you're not contagious the whole time, but you're contagious right, right. usually for at least four days before that, that um, stereotypical rash appears. So, you know, typically you have this kind of biphasic illness um, where you have this prodromal phase where you develop these early symptoms, and these are usually very generic. Um, fever, cough, runny nose, um, mucus. Sometimes people get pink eye, which is um, technically called conjunctivitis, where you get reddening and, and irritation and swelling. Um, you also develop these things called coplic spots, which are these kind of whitish, bluish spots that you'll see, like, in the lips, in the cheeks. But again, you might not notice these necessarily. So a lot of the other symptoms are quite generic and could be due to a variety of respiratory viruses. And that's why CDC is putting out this alert because there are many physicians who maybe wouldn't have measles on their radar and now they need to have it. Um, now, after those early symptoms, those prodrome symptoms, then you get the measles rash. And that's usually starting to appear two to two to four days after that. So now you've been in the contagious window for several several days. And this is a flat red rash that starts at the hairline and it spreads down the face, the neck, the torso, and the extremities. So it gets to the hands and feet at the end. Um, and you, again, as I mentioned, you are contagious at least four days before that rash appears. Um, and so that, that fact that you're contagious before you develop that stereotypical symptom means that you might think you just have a cold and you're spreading measles virus to people in your community. And in fact, a recent study came out that actually said that about 70% of people will go to work or go into their communities while sick and they'll hide the fact that they're sick. Um, and obviously we know that there are systemic reasons for this. Um, we don't have, you know, healthcare infrastructure and, and employment infrastructure, but that's the issue. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yes. Right. Um, but good news. This is preventable. Um, so, so the CDC recommends that all children get two doses of the MMR vaccine, starting with the first dose at 12 through 15 months of age and the second dose at four through six years of age. And children can receive the second dose earlier as long as it's um, at least 28 days after the first dose. And, you know, Andrea, we were talking about non-medical exemptions really what we're, we're seeing that explode but there are some you know some legitimate reasons that might preclude someone from getting the MMR vaccine so as I mentioned these these are live attenuated vaccines which means that they're not gonna cause measles well so they're combined right so so initially we had a measles only vaccine um, which was approved in 1963 and then after that we released the MMR um, in 1971 and and we'll kind Kind of include kind of the case tracking, but but you know after the very first measles vaccine was introduced, the plummet started and it, and it only grew, um, you know as we introduced the MMR. Actually, it was pretty pretty low when that happened, but it allowed us to protect against multiple pathogens at once. Now this is a live attenuated viral vaccine, meaning these viruses can't cause illness in healthy individuals. They're weakened, but they still stimulate the immune response. However, if you're immunocompromised because they're attenuated, they could still cause potential complications. So anybody that's severely immunocompromised, they're going to want to talk to their doctor. So those would be people who are undergoing uh, medical treatments that cause immunocompromised conditions. Um, if you're a cancer patient and you're undergoing things like chemotherapy or radiation or immunotherapy or on long-term steroid treatments, um, people who live with people that are immunocompromised, of course, that's going to be a, a, a caveat. People who are dealing with other infectious agents that cause immunocompromised, deficiency like HIV AIDS or tuberculosis. Um, those are going to potentially be contraindications. During pregnancy, it's not recommended you get live viral vaccines, generally speaking. So either you want to get it um, you know, before pregnancy or, or wait until after you're pregnant. Now you can get it while you're nursing. It's totally safe. And, and some of those passive antibodies will be transferred through the breast milk. Um, if you have blood conditions, any bruising, bleeding disorders, if you had a recent transfusion or blood product recipient, you want to delay three months just in case that there were any cross-reactivity of your immune system to any of the blood products you received. If you had received any other vaccines, because this is a live vaccine, um, you don't want want to potentially impact or dampen your immune response to it. So you can get it bundled with the same, you know, with other vaccines or wait four weeks intervals. Um, and then generally, again, if you have any life-threatening ingredient allergies, which again are very, very rare. And if you're sick, you should just, you shouldn't get any vaccines if you're sick, right? Because it's going right. to impact your immune response to the vaccine itself. All right. So let's talk about, and we, we have talked so much about this, but you know, some of the reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated, um, that are not what Andrea just listed legitimate, you know, um, medical exemptions and reasons not to get the vaccine. We have to talk about Andrew Wakefield. Um, again, we have done an entire episode. We've done several posts. We'll link to these in our show notes so you can go back and listen to those. But as a reminder, um, in 1998, Andrew Wakefield published a fraudulent case study in The Lancet falsely linking MMR vaccines to autism. Uh, Andrew Wakefield was, uh, he, well, he's a discredited former British physician. He, he was no a longer gastroenterologist. There you go. He yeah. doesn't even have a medical license. It was revoked. Um, the st 
study, and we're using air quotes here if you're not watching on video, it only included 12 pre-selected children. So talk about bias. He, you know, specifically selected these children. Um, and the whole thing was based on parental anecdotes, unverified stories told by parents. The study was completely falsified. Um, and of course, it was because he himself was creating his own vaccine that was in competition with the existing and, vaccine. And he yeah. also wanted to create this like diagnostic test for autism and it was going to springboard off of this. Um, so there was a lot of financial motivation behind him doing this. Right. And it doesn't matter how many times, unfortunately, we remind people that this is totally falsified, retracted. He lost his medical license. I mean, this was absolutely horrific, but it it persists even decades later. I mean, people regularly ask us, you know, but what about the link to autism? So yeah. let's talk about the data that have been collected. I can't, I mean, we have posted hundreds of studies, longitudinal studies, incredibly well-designed, rigorous studies. There has never been a single study that has ever shown any even weak association between yeah. the MMR vaccine and autism. And that's true for other vaccines, <laughs> all other vaccines too. Yes. I feel like we need to, because, because the autism has gotten lumped under the umbrella of all vaccines, even though it started with MMR. And I know we're talking about measles, but no vaccines have been linked to autism. And I just want to call out, there was one study in particular that was the largest to date. Um, it was published in 2019, a population-wide cohort study in Denmark. Again, the largest to date. It included 657,000 children, um, 625,000 of whom received the MMR vaccine. Of the entire cohort, about 1% of the children were diagnosed with autism at six to seven years old. When compared, uh, excuse me, when comparing the vaccine vaccinated to the unvaccinated, zero. I mean, zero link between MMR and autism. This is consistent with every other study that's been published, including another large um, review published in 2014 in the journal Vaccine that pooled 10 different observational studies, also found no link. Um, children with autism develop symptoms well before MMR vaccination. Um, there's evidence that autism may even develop before for birth and be genetically linked. So again, no, there is nothing. There is nothing here. Um, it is so, so unfortunate um, that this continues to persist. And I think, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, we talk a lot, you know, a lot of people are hesitant about um, the COVID vaccines because it's newer. Measles vaccines have been around for over 60 years. We have the long-term data. Like yeah. we have long-term upon long-term upon long-term upon long-term <laughs> data. You know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, these vaccines are incredibly safe and in particular, like phenomenally effective, right? It is 95% effective at one dose and it's 97% effective with two doses and that's preventing infection too. It is, it is truly incredible that we've been able to elicit that robust and immune response after vaccination. And, and there's a reason behind that. Um, but it's because the measles virus itself induces such a potent immune response. It's a very unique thing. But when we look at it, measles vaccines save millions of lives every year. So we'll go back to 1963. You had on average 2.6 million deaths 
every year across the globe. And that was when the population of the world was only 3 billion. So today our population is 8.1 billion. So we're preventing huge numbers of deaths and extrapolated to our global population today. It's phenomenal. Now, mortality rates vary. And as just mentioned, like in some instances, it's not necessarily fatal, but it can lead to other things, right? But but depending on what country you're in, what access to care you have, um, it can range from 0.1% to up to 10% mortality rate. And 30% of measles cases lead to complications, including pneumonia, blindness, deafness, hearing loss, um, and also things that are are high risk for children, like severe diarrhea and dehydration, which can be fatal. Um, And also encephalitis, which is brain infection and brain swelling, which can also lead to permanent brain damage. Now, encephalitis, which is the brain, brain infection, brain swelling, occurs in about 0.3% of measles cases, as we mentioned, and that in itself can be fatal. But another complication is a condition called subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, or SSPE. Now, this is 100% fatal. It is a progressive disabling brain disorder that occurs after the fact. So basically, you've, you've been infected with measles, you survived measles, and it leads to rapid, progressive, incurable brain degeneration where a children where a child dies. And it occurs in 18 of every 100,000 measles cases. Highest risk population, kids under five. There's no cure, there's no treatment, and death occurs within one to three years of it being identified. And we can ultimately prevent every case of SSPE now uh, if people continue to get vaccinated. So, oh you know, I think I think that's a huge thing that people forget and, and yeah. needs to be emphasized. Now, when you look at kind of the other the other impacts, you know, globally it's estimated that measles vaccines have prevented 66 million deaths uh, between 2000 and and 2021. And as I mentioned, measles was declared eliminated in 2000 in the U.S., um, but we we may lose that status. And the other thing I think is that people don't realize that um, measles causes other things besides those initial complications. The measles virus causes a phenomenon called immune amnesia. And basically what this means is it wipes our immune memory. So I talked about how the measles virus hitches a ride with uh, on immune cells, right? And it hitches that ride on those innate immune cells, the macrophages and the dendritic cells. But then once it gets to the lymph nodes and the spleen, it, it can interact with those adaptive immune cells, the B cells and the T cells. And those are the ones that create memory to measles, but also to everything, anything we've encountered, anything that we've interacted with, any vaccinations we've had that mimic those pathogens. And what ends up happening is when measles infects those, those T cells and B cells and it replicates within them, it, it damages and destroys them. Meaning any of those B cells and T cells that had developed memory to other things, they're now gone. So basically you've wiped out that population of, of adaptive immune cells, those memory immune cells that um, now aren't going to remember that you've encountered a previous pathogen that you should be immune against because measles eliminated them. So it, it, it leads to this broad impairment of your memory immunity well beyond the measles virus itself. 
Now, Andrea, a question that we've received many times that we are inevitably going to get in response to this is, all right, get the vaccine. You know, if if you're so worried, get the vaccine, get your kids vaccinated. Why do you care if the vaccine is so effective? Why do you care if I get vaccinated or not? And obviously, I mean, that ties ties into our conversation about herd immunity and just how contagious measles is. Um, Is there anything else you want to add in in response to that Yeah, absolutely. So so there's actually, you know, the the immune amnesia actually leads into this, right? Because if you talk about who can get vaccinated for for measles, you know, you don't start that vaccine process until 12 months and kids don't complete it until four to six years. So there's a time window where they're not protected against measles. And if someone brings it into the community because they didn't feel like getting vaccinated, now those kids are at risk now. So, so let's say, you know, a kid gets measles from one of these unvaccinated people. And you're like, well, generally speaking, you know, mortality rate isn't super high and the risk of SSPE is only 18 and hundred thousand. And, you know, you're kind of minimizing those statistics, but, but, you know, this, this young kid is too young to have completed their measles vaccine regimen, but they've already been vaccinated for a lot of other things that they were old enough to get. So say they've, they've completed hepatitis B, DTaP, which protects against diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, rotavirus, which is a huge cause of gastroenteritis, poliovirus, influenza, COVID, hepatitis A, haemophilus, influenza B, pneumococcal pneumonia, varicella, at least one dose for chickenpox, and maybe even RSV at that point. So now, Now they get measles because they're too young to complete the vaccine regimen and they had already been vaccinated for all these other things that they should be protected against. But then they develop immune amnesia as a result of measles. And now they've wiped out their memory to all these other things that can cause serious illness, provided that they recover from measles relatively unscathed. And so Mm -hmm. now you're hoping that they recover from measles. They don't have long term complications as a result of the measles, that they don't develop immune amnesia and they don't lose protection for all these other things that can cause severe illness and death. And, and those are particularly high risk for young kids, which is why we vaccinate kids when they're young, because they're high risk then. So it's right. much more than just this transient infection that you're going to, you know, suffer through and survive, you know, and, and aside from the fact that there are other people aside from young kids who don't develop immunity to the vaccine, you know, you've got those who are immunocompromised. And even if they get vaccinated, they may not develop that robust uh, adaptive immunity. You've got right. some people just through the uniqueness of everyone's immune system, they just don't mount a good response to vaccination. So they could get repeat doses and they're still just never going to be protected. And so it's really important that we protect our communities on the whole. Well, and Andrea, I'm so glad you said that because there was that high profile um, case in 2011 of a vaccinated individual um, being patient zero, right, in, in, a, in, yeah. a, in a small outbreak. And it's exactly that. I mean, vaccines are highly effective, but they're also not perfect. And as Andrea said, we all are, you know, unique and we can't predict every single, you know, the way that every single person's immune system is going to react. So, yeah. so let's talk because we get a lot of questions, you know, from, from adults. So obviously we're saying if you have a child, please get your kid vaccinated Absolutely. and don't delay. Go, don't do, it. Alter go the do it right now. Just go do go it, right, do it now. right now. Go do it right now. But you know, but what if you, what if you're an adult? So broadly speaking, if you got vaccinated as a kid, it is highly unlikely that you're going to get infected, even if you're exposed. So as we said, um, vaccination is about 97 to 99% effective. Um, about 5% of people do not develop protection after the first 
first dose, which is why the second dose was added in the 80s, but then 95% of those will be fully protected after a second dose. And that's where we get to the 97%, right? Um, So we have to talk about something called presumptive evidence of immunity, right? Because some people are not 100% sure whether they got the vaccine. Um, So let's talk about what that means. So you do not need to get the MMR vaccine if you meet any of these criteria for presumptive evidence. So of course, if you have written documentation of adequate vaccination, so this means at least one dose of measles, mumps, and rubella virus containing vaccine administered on or after the first birthday for preschool aged children and adults not at high risk for exposure and transmission, and then two doses uh, for school-aged children and adults at high risk for exposure and transmission. Pretty much that's saying if you're if you're above the age at which you're eligible for two doses, you should right. have both doses. Yeah. Also, if you have laboratory confirmation of past infection or had blood tests that show you are immune to MMR. Now, Andrea, maybe just now we could segue briefly about like titers or do you think we should wait? Yeah, yeah. So so one thing to to note is that, you know, we talked a lot about the complications and risks of of infection and illness. Um, however, if you do escape measles and and you don't have any of those, the immunity you generate from infection is very, very robust. And that's why it causes immune amnesia, because your immune response to the virus is so pronounced. So if you did get infected and did survive, you will have very, very robust protection. And so that's why, you know, if you if you had past measles, you don't necessarily need a vaccine on top of that. However, generally speaking, it's really not essential to get titered for measles. You know, if you're not sure that you were infected previously and you don't have evidence of that and you, you know, don't know how to navigate getting a blood test, like, even if you had measles previously or if you had previous MMR vaccine and you don't know whether you developed that that antibody response, which is what a titer test looks for, it looks for levels of antibodies. It doesn't look for other things involved in memory immunity. Um, but you don't need to get a titer done. You can get an MMR vaccine even if you had been previously vaccinated. It's not going to uh, be harmful or risky or increase, you know, reactogenicity of the vaccine and things like that. So, you know, especially if you're in one of these areas where there is a really pronounced outbreak and you're concerned and you're not sure if maybe you can't track down your vaccine records and you're, you know, you can't track down anyone in your family who remembers, like you don't need to waste the time to go get a titer done. You can opt to get the MMR vaccine. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody who's an adult and is concerned needs to go get the MMR vaccine. You know, obviously you have to weigh this against your own personal health history. Um, The best Mm -hmm. thing to do is of course, track down your own vaccine records. Now, again, if you were born before 1957, because outbreaks were so rampant, it's presumed that everybody who survived through that has either gotten measles or been exposed to measles and maybe didn't develop symptomatic illness, but has has a memory immune response to that at this point because enough time has elapsed and enough outbreaks have occurred that it is highly unlikely that you did not 
you know, escape exposure to measles at that point. So again, if you're unsure whether you've been vaccinated, of course, the best thing that you can do is first try to find your vaccination records. But if that's not an option for you, you should get vaccinated. Um, And again, as Andrea just said, you know, there might be certain docs who maybe want you to get titered, but really that's not necessary because the MMR vaccine is safe and there's no harm in getting another dose, um, even if you may have already, you know, received the vaccine and just don't have records or don't remember. Um, One other thing to note, um, I pulled this from the CDC sites. I just wanted to share this. If you received a measles vaccine in the 1960s, you may not need to be revaccinated. Um, People who have documentation of receiving live measles vaccine in the 1960s do not need to be revaccinated. People who were vaccinated prior to 1968 with either inactivated measles or a measles vaccine of unknown type should be revaccinated with at least one dose of live attenuated measles vaccine. And this is intended to protect those who may not have received killed um, measles vaccine, which was available during a very specific time period of the 63 to 67. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 1963, that was the very first measles vaccine. That was an inactivated viral vaccine. And in 1968, we released the attenuated viral vaccine. And then in 71, we released the MMR. And so there's that little window where the inactivated viral vaccine actually was was pretty good, but it wasn't quite as good as right. the attenuated. And that's why we switched. But there, there may be some people who are in that overlap period. And so... Again, it's probably a small proportion, but if you qualify for that, it is certainly something to consider. Y'all, please, let's not, let's not spark a (laughs) completely preventable. There's no, no reason. There's no reason that we should be in this situation in 2024. Um, You know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of misinformation circulating and there's not enough reach for people who are trying to spread credible information. We know that, you know, this is often exploited by distrust of government and all that, but I mean, these data have existed for over 60 years, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, I'm kind of baffled that this is still a controversy and, and, you know, the, there's, there's just really no excuse for not protecting children and others in your community for things that we can protect them against. And again, just the effectiveness of the vaccine, and and we are obviously proponents of flu and COVID, but those effectiveness numbers are are lower. Like we're talking about 97% effectiveness. There is just no reason to not get this thing. All right. Well, Andrea, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Again, we've talked about this so many times in other forums and other posts and podcasts. We will reshare all of those um, to our show notes. And of course, when this episode drops, we'll reshare them to our stories. Do you want to take us home? (laughs) Sure. So happy Valentine's Day. Please protect against measles and get vaccinated. Um, If you want to support our efforts and help us grow the impact and reach of bioscience, we have many options for you to support us. We have a newsletter where we post content uh, at least two times a week, uh, including our bi-weekly newsletter update. You can subscribe to that for $5 a month. It is theunbiasedsipod.substack.com. 
We have a variety of donation pages, including a Venmo account, a coffee account, a donation site on our website. Um, we also have fun, snarky merch that helps support us, but also um, share unbiased science with the world. And you can find all of that on our website. That's www.unbiasedscipod.com. And please subscribe for free to our YouTube channel. Even if you don't watch our episodes there, it qualifies us for getting some additional benefits through YouTube health. So our channel is youtube.com at unbiasedscipod and subscribe to all of our social channels at unbiasedscipod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. (laughs) 